The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing. We strive every week to be your public radio source for everything that we can think of that you need to know to start or grow a successful real estate business. And part of starting or growing a successful real estate business is to understand different sorts of asset classes and what they can and can't do for you and a way deeper than just sort of, I don't know, reading a book here and there. And today we are going to talk about one of the most Uh, sort of uh, sought after by the small real estate investor classes, which is apartments. My guest today is Anthony Chara. He's been investing in real estate and doing property management since 1993. Uh, He quit his Fortune 500 company job in order to go into real estate investing full-time in 2001. He's managing a partner of Apartment Mentors, LLC, and Success Classes, LLC. He owns apartment properties in Arizona, Colorado, Florida, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, Mississippi, Nevada, Ohio, and Oklahoma and Texas. Joining us today from his home in Colorado is Mr. Anthony Chara. Anthony, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hi, Vina. How are you? I'm very good, Anthony. How are you? I'm doing terrific. I'm a little exhausted, though. Yes, I, I understand you are back from a long jaunt this week, actually. Yeah, a long two-week two week trip to Europe. My wife and I celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary and by taking two weeks and cruising around Europe. That sounds, that sounds just peachy, and uh, we're glad that you were able to join us on your first day back, despite the fact that I bet you are horribly jet-lagged. Uh, yeah, not as bad as going out. Out uh, Going out a couple weeks ago was terrible, but uh, coming back, I, we did get back late yesterday afternoon and got a good night's sleep, so I'm up and ready to go. Excellent, excellent. Well, I was looking at the Real Life Real Estate schedule here, and it has been just a little bit over a year since last time we talked about the apartment market, and all kinds of crazy stuff has been happening in the residential market during that time. We had a we had a bounce, and now um, sales have slowed back down again in the last few months. Property prices have leveled back out in the last few months. What has happened in the apartment world in the last year? Well, apartment world in the last year has been uh, very interesting. Um, some of the 
bigger cities around the country have been going nuts because the economy in certain larger cities, like Denver, has been improving tremendously. So there was a lot of new apartments that were being built in the downtown section. Uh, There's also a I was just up in Minneapolis a couple months ago teaching a class and found out that their economy is fairly similar, that the downtown area was doing so well that now they have a glut of apartments in the actual downtown markets, uh, not just in Denver and Minneapolis, but quite a few other large cities around the country. So that what I've been seeing is a lot more people going to the sub-markets of those particular areas to find better deals and better properties because there's so many new apartments coming online in the downtown areas that it's going to get to the point where there's just going to be too much inventory, too many available units, and uh, I think it's going to start to stagnate the downtown apartment markets with uh, too many concessions or incentives and things like that that are going to hold rental rates down uh, for a little bit longer period of time um, uh, while all this overbuilding is going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, one assumes that most of these downtown uh, apartment markets are uh, sort of the, uh, what we used to call back in the day, yuppie market, young young single or newly married professionals who have uh, corporate type jobs and just want to be part of the uh, urban scene that has been uh, have, having a real comeback over the course of the last five to ten years. We're actually, believe it or not, seeing that here in Cincinnati, where the downtown area is being uh, redeveloped with a lot of housing that uh, just literally did not exist five to ten years ago. The uh, markets that you're referencing that are in the in the submarkets in the suburbs uh, are these the same? Are, are are we are we comparing apples to apples here, or are these more of the of the working folks uh, type of units that you're seeing people go after now? Well, that's a great question. The downtown markets are similar to what you were talking about is going on in Cincinnati. They are targeting the younger, more vibrant crowd, uh, people that are generally just out of college, fresh out of college and they've got a little extra money to spend. Maybe they've got their first job under their belt. They're looking for that hip, uh, hipster scene where they can be close to all the action. I think there's also a lot of people that are getting into the green movement, and because of that, they're trying to travel less, which either means they're giving up their cars and maybe only having one car instead of two, or just trying not to drive them as much as we uh, have come accustomed to. So a lot of people are just spending more and more time uh, walking around town and they want to be able to go places that they can get to pretty easily, whether it's a, sh- a supermarket, a shopping center, a, a bar, a nightclub, something like that. Uh, yes, in the outer lying areas, there are more what I would call older uh, working class people and families. You know, a lot of families don't necessarily want to raise their kids in an upscale A-class apartment building in downtown. Uh, they want to be out in an environment that's more family-friendly, So uh, what I'm seeing is people that are a little bit older might have a couple young kids uh, either not ready to move into an apartment or in some cases they'll never move into an apartment. They're uh, not ready to move into a home um, or never wanting to move into a home. There there are some people, especially at some of our complexes, that are just professional renters. They, They rent for their lives and they just never see themselves wanting to own a home. So, yeah, it's definitely an older crowd. Um and uh, more families in the outer lying areas. Mm-hmm. And and unlikely that the 
the even when um, you know, prices might start to drop on those downtown units, that those folks are going to move into them <laughs> because they're interested in being near a park or they're interested in being in a particular school system because they have children and they're they're unlikely to move downtown even if they can maybe in a year or two get a what 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 one would consider a bargain on those rentals. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, they definitely you know, you know it depends on the area though cuz cuz we do have some areas here in downtown Denver that even though it's not truly downtown uh, there are some areas that are just a little bit outside of downtown that are a little more yuppie-ish as you say but they're also family friendly they've got some nice parks they've even started to add dog park areas around uh, some of the bigger parks so i just don't see the families moving into those downtown markets it's just not very conducive to raising a family you don't want the kid growing up on a balcony on the 10th floor and potentially the kid you know falling out the window or something like that so Very good. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about what's going on in the financing end of the apartment market and where the opportunities are, particularly for folks who are maybe buying their first apartment building. We'll also take your questions at 877-772-9658 or at askvena at gmail.com. That's A-S-K-V-E-N-A at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is apartment guru, Anthony Chara, who is going to be one of the 15 featured speakers at the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association's National New Strategy Summit coming up here in Cincinnati. Uh, Anthony is actually going to do an all-day session, an all-day workshop on how to buy apartment buildings. So a lot of, a lot of detail in that. Uh, you can get more information about that coming up here on um, Real Life Real Estate Investing. And WMKV will have an opportunity for you to sign up for that event and also support public radio. So it's like a double win, listeners. But mark those days off your calendar. November 6th, 7th, 8th, and 9th, because you don't want to be any place other than the Great Wolf Lodge here in Cincinnati for the 2014 National New Strategies Summit. So, uh, Anthony, of course, the other thing that's been on a roller coaster, let's say since 2008, (laughs) has been uh, the availability of conventional financing to buy or to refinance single-family homes. And I remember, as as you and I have talked over the last few years, uh, financing for uh, apartment buildings was kind of crazy easy back in 2006, and then it kind of got crazy difficult, like 2009, and where is it today? It is getting much better. It is improving tremendously. As a matter of fact, I've talked to several lenders over the last six months that a year or two years ago, if you asked them if you could have any type of seller carry back on a property, uh, in addition to getting a first mortgage of 70, 75, 80%, plus the seller maybe carrying back 5 or 10% or 15%, most lenders would have said, absolutely not. They wouldn't allow any of it. And now I've talked to, like I said, three lenders, at least three lenders in the last uh, six months ish, and they're 
they're all for it. Um, they do want to see the investor with what they call some skin in the game. So most of them are still requiring that as an investor, you put in a 10% down payment, even if the seller is willing to do 10% and you can get an 80% conventional loan on the on the deal. So uh, it's definitely opening up a lot uh, more. It's uh, getting easier to get funding. I'm seeing higher LPVs, lower interest rates, better terms on the money. And now that the fact that they will allow the seller to do some type of seller carryback, uh, collateralized by the property, is uh, even better sign that they're very eager to loan on apartment complexes. Mm-hmm. That is a that is a big step forward because, honestly, for decades sellers have participated in the financing of these larger apartment buildings and and it hasn't been a problem and then it suddenly was a problem which i think left a lot of uh potential apartment buyers sort of just back you know laid back on their heels because uh, that's just that's just how it has been done so why does it change now so it's good to hear that that's coming back now a- another thing that i keep reading about in some of the of the trade journals is that there there could be some effect coming up here from the fact that a lot of these uh, uh, commercial property loans are on sort of five-year cycles uh, where officially they have a balloon in five years, but the, 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 the thought was when I got the loan in, say, 2009, that at the end of five years we just, you know, renegotiate, find a new interest rate and, and do it again and that there might be some of these that are coming up uh, and enough of them to maybe affect the market that the, uh, the the owners will not be able to do that because the value of their buildings is not what it was when they bought them, that that might cause a little mini foreclosure bubble in the apartment world. Are you, are you seeing anything like that? Do you think it's going to happen? I, I think that was happening a couple of years ago, but um, what I've been seeing is, uh, banks are getting more and more uh, eager to help people that are in tough situations. There, there was a time back in uh, 2008, 9, 10, 11, where banks just basically said, nope, this is our policy, that's it. We can only loan you 70 cents on the dollar, and the value of your property has gone down, so either you need to come to the table with a lot more money for us to redo the loan because the value has dropped, or we're just going to foreclose and take the property back. And nowadays, what we're seeing is a lot of these loans that are ballooning in five years, they might have had a fixed term for five years, but it's what I call, I've kind of deemed it what I call a soft balloon. Uh, And here's the difference. With a hard balloon in five years, you have to either sell or refinance the property to get out of that loan in order to get the bank the money back. With the soft balloon, now what they're doing, uh, I'm seeing a lot more of these, where the loans are now changing to adjustable. So even though it's a balloon and the bank says we want our money back in five years, they're not being as strict with the policy as they were in the past, and now the, the, the loan basically just becomes adjustable rate. So they allow the loan to stay in place. They allow the owner of the property to continue to make payments, but now the payments are going to be determined based on whatever the prevailing interest rate is. So if they are having a tough time getting out of that property to refinance it or sell it because the value's dropped, it's, it's not going to be as difficult on them because they won't be forced to actually get a new loan. They'll just be able to continue to, to pay the existing loan. And that was kind of the, the part that I didn't understand a few years ago, is you would have these people who were making their payments on time every single month, but then because the value dropped, they didn't have an extra couple hundred thousand dollars to put down <laughs> 
to cover the lost value in order to keep their LTV ratio in place. And they were getting foreclosed on because the banks were not working with them. But that, that seems to be changing as well. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so more good news. Um, how about rents? Up, down, sideways? What do they look like in the last well, year? Well, again, it's going to depend on where you are in, in the country. There are certainly um, areas like Denver that have gone through the through the roof the last couple of years. A lot of the major metropolitan areas have seen some tremendous rental growth because the vacancy has gotten to the point where they're literally at all-time lows. When you have vacancies at all-time lows um, and occupancy at all-time highs, you can start raising your rent tremendously. So there's a lot of major metropolitan areas that have been raising their rent 4 5 6% a year for the last couple of years. Now what's happening with the glut of the overbuilding, because when you start getting to that point where you, where you have such low vacancy, the developers start coming in and they start putting in new product in order to meet the demand. It's all about supply and demand. And they start putting in the new apartment complexes. They can keep up with it. There's a really good absorption rate because as soon as the new units come on market, there's people ready and willing to move into them. So the rents continue to go up and up and up. And now, to me, I see in a lot of the major metropolitan markets where we're kind of at the peak of the cycle I don't know how long it's going to last off the top of my head, but uh, there's so many new units coming on the market, but I think we're going to see rents kind of stagnate in the downtown markets. And again, that's why I would recommend that people start looking outside of their downtown markets and start looking in some of the suburbs, or even I've actually got some students that are actually doing very well going after some of the smaller areas outside of the metropolitan area, uh, areas that are maybe... Um, a half an hour to an hour to two hours outside of major metropolitan area. And they're finding some great deals out there, especially since in a lot of those markets, the seller is willing to do all seller financing. Um, and then you also have a lot less competition. In some of those smaller towns, you might be the only apartment building, <laughs> as opposed to some of the major metropolitan areas where you're competing with thousands or tens of thousands of other units um, on the market. So, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I I see rent in the major metropolitan areas kind of stagnating, uh, maybe even receding a little bit because of the extra development that's coming online. So as that happens, uh, people, uh, even the yuppies we talked about earlier, they're going to start looking for something that's affordable for them. So if, if they decide that they'd rather spend their money on something else than renting a really nice, fancy, high-rise apartment in some downtown market, they're going to start moving out to some of the suburbs too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, our, our producer Mike says that he lives in one of those towns where there just aren't no apartment, no apartment buildings. <laughs> so I guess if you have the one that is there and you have folks who want to live in apartments, then by golly, you are the only game in town. So, uh, Anthony, what is it that you are recommending to your students these days in terms of uh, what they should be looking for? Because I know it's it's always the balance between where are the deals and where are the hot markets? Because there usually aren't a lot of deals in hot markets. But then on the on the other hand, you don't want to go out and find a great deal on a place that uh, nobody wants. Sure. And usually when you start hearing the, the rumors about a hot market on the news or on TV or in the newspapers or wherever it is that you get your news from, usually by the time you hear about it, it's too late. <laughs> you know, it's no longer a hot market because now everybody knows about it, so everybody goes there and starts buying. 
Um, I'm actually recommending that my students do what I, I kind of mentioned earlier, start going out into the, some more ancillary markets away from the downtown metro areas. Start getting out on the fringe of where the population is, uh, uh, or even some of these really small towns that are out um, away from the major cities. Uh, but you do need to be careful. They're obviously, if, if you're the only game in town, that's fantastic. But one of the things that you could find out very quickly is with limited population, if there is only one major employer in that particular market and they pack up and move out or shut down for whatever reason, you could find yourself with a, a lot of vacancy very, very quickly and be upside down very, very quickly. Uh, but the other nice part about some of these smaller markets is usually you don't have a lot of the issues with the non-payers. Uh, with, with some of the cities that we're in, uh, and you're going to find this in every major city, you have people that know how to play the game uh, as far as renting units and delaying their rent as long as possible and in some cases not paying the rent at all and coming up with different excuses in order to delay it even further or not pay it for several months until you can finally get them evicted. And some of these smaller towns, people just, it's like it never even crosses their mind. They're much more apt to pay on time every single month um, because they realize that there, there isn't a whole lot of places out there for them to go. It's not like they can go from apartment complex to apartment complex and play the game. If they're going to do that, they're going to have to literally pick up and move 10 miles, 15 miles, 20 miles or more in some of these smaller communities. Mm -hmm. So you tend to find people that are much more stable and tend to pay their rent on time every single month. Very good. Uh, we're going to take another quick break, and after that we're going to answer questions from listeners at 877-772-9658 or at askvena at gmail.com, A-S-K-V-E-N-A at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vena Jones-Cox. My guest today is Anthony Chara, who is also going to be at our upcoming summit here in the Cincinnati area in November. We're expecting about 750 real estate investors from all over the country at that event. And so it's not just a great opportunity to contribute to public radio and to learn about real estate, but also a great opportunity to network with folks from all over the country who are doing all sorts of neat things in real estate. So to get your fall shot in the arm and go home and, you know, be all like super investor, you're going to want to come to that. And we'll have more details on that uh, in early September. Uh, also, be sure to like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash real life real estate. Uh, that's where we announce each week who the guest is. And uh, you can, of course, also Go there and make suggestions for guests and topics that you would like to hear about. That's facebook.com forward slash real life real estate. We're taking your questions here on the show today at 877-772-9658 or at askvina at gmail.com. Uh, we have a question here from Chris in Pittsburgh. Chris asks, I've never actually heard Anthony speak before, but I'm looking forward to hearing him at the Ohio Summit. I'm wondering what sort of building he recommends for a first-time apartment investor. Is it more the 12-unit size, or should we just jump straight into the 40-plus units? Ooh, well, 
That's a great question. And what it really comes down to, I think more than just giving a, an answer of a 12-unit or a 40-unit or 100-unit, it also comes down to that person's comfort level with real estate investing in the first place. So if that person has a lot of real estate experience, if they've been doing a lot of single-family homes, then going from five or ten single-family homes to a 40-unit apartment building is probably not going to be a big deal for them. But if they have limited experience with real estate, then, yeah, they might want to look at a 12-unit, or in some cases they, they might want to just start out with a three-plex or a four-plex or a six-plex or something even smaller just to kind of limit their exposure with getting into the multifamily market because there are certain things that you're – that people like me can teach you, but there's also certain things that you're going to learn once you actually get into it and start doing it. And, you know, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket and basically go for broke on your very first deal and really stretch yourself to the max. You want to make sure that you, that if something does go wrong, you've got the ability to make corrections and make adjustments uh, without uh, losing the property. So I think that's really what it comes down to me is what is that person's comfort level and their experience level with real estate in the first place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and Chris, by the way, you just asked a question that takes like a whole day to answer. So that was a pretty, pretty succinct little, little answer there, Anthony, but uh, a lot of, lot of moving parts in, in that decision, of course. So um glad you're coming to the conference in November because uh, you'll, you'll get some more of that in the, in the all day session on September or September, November the 6th. See, at this time of the year, I start having I started having these dreams that it is it is the convention and I have forgotten to invite anyone and I'm standing in the hotel set up for you know 700 people and all the speakers are there and there's no one there so that September 6th thing I'm sure was a Freudian slip based on that recurring nightmare I have starting in August of every year um, okay so so Anthony, is there is there anything and this is this is a question from Mark who is from Akron. Is there anything about apartment buildings that would absolutely keep you from buying them for instance if they had no off-street parking, if the utilities were not separated, anything at all that is just an absolute no for you? Uh the biggest thing for me is the crime in the building in the area. Um that's one of the biggies. If there's too much crime, if there's too much gang activity, if there's too much graffiti all over the place, that's pretty much a deal breaker for me. It's it's one thing to be able to go into a property that has some issues and be able to put in new carpet, new paint, new cabinet, new appliances. That's where you can make a lot of money. But one thing you can't necessarily do is change the neighborhood and the issues that are going on in that neighborhood. Now, even though I've I've said that, I actually have a student that specifically targets areas that have a lot of crime because his niche is to actually rent to people that actually have criminal records. These are people that have committed what are called soft crimes. Uh, they could be misdemeanor traffic offenses. Um, you know, somebody that was maybe busted drunk driving a couple of times, but nobody got hurt. Um, as a matter of fact, I think in one of his properties, he's even thinking about putting in the sex offenders because there's not a lot of other people that will rent to them. And so that's his particular niche. But for me, you know, I would shy away from areas that had a lot of high crime. Um, I, I 
don't have a problem with whether the utilities are included or not included or separated, as the person asked. Um, there's always ways that you can collect uh, that particular money, whether it's by raising the rent or doing a utility billback system where you can actually charge them a little bit more for their share of the utilities. Uh, and that sometimes that's just reasonable and customary in a particular market, and there's no way around it because if, if all the other apartments in the area are including the utilities in the rent, uh, then if, if you want to be a maverick and kind of change that and start charging them, you may find that you've got a vacant property pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so the biggest the biggest one is going to be the crime for me. Mm-hmm. Well, and let me let me add some things to Mark's question. Uh, what about unit mix? Will you buy uh, buildings that are all efficiencies or that have a large number of efficiencies? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not real big on efficiencies, but overall what I look at is what is more popular in a particular market and because you need to look at it's not just about again there is no cookie cutter answer that says you know if if the building was all completely efficiencies i probably would shy away from that but if it had some efficiencies and some one bedrooms and some two bedrooms what i'm going to look at is i want to know what's expected in that particular market as an example as you get closer to universities there are a lot of university areas where one bedrooms are actually more popular, especially with graduate students, students that actually have money or that mommy and daddy have money because they're paying these students to go get their graduate degree. Um, And they don't want the drama of having a roommate. So they want a one-bedroom unit that they can live in themselves, they'll pay a reasonable amount of rent, but then they don't have to worry about all the extra drama that comes along with potentially having roommates. There's also some areas of the country like Tucson. For whatever reason, Tucson one-bedrooms are very, very popular with renters in the Tucson market. And a lot of other markets, I mean, for me personally, I would rather find two-bedroom, one-bath, or two-bedroom, two-bath apartment complexes more so than anything else. But you do need to take a look at what is happening in your particular market and what people are looking for for to satisfy their own needs. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, The other thing I would look at, too, is if you're buying in an area that has a, a slew of apartment buildings and units, I would buy contrary to what everybody else has. So in other words, if, if everybody else has two-bedroom, one-bath units, and I've got the only building that's one-bedroom, one-bath, I'm going to be all over that because that's the one area that I'm not going to have any competition in. And then it's the other way around as well. If there's an area that has a lot of one-bedroom, one-bathrooms, and I'm the only two-bedroom, one-bathroom building in the, in the, on the block or in that particular area, then I'm more interested in that. Because, again, I'm, I'm trying to limit the amount of competition that I'm going to have to go up against. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, here in our area, uh, we seem to have apartment buildings that come in three flavors. You got your 1930s vintage masonry, you know, big rooms, hardwood floors, but all sorts of interesting maintenance issues <laughs> that pop up in those buildings even when you think you've rehabbed them. Then we have the sort of 1960s uh, variety that has the open staircases uh, where there's usually, um, uh, the staircases are usually uh, the little one-by-one tiles and, you know, it's supposed to be all open looking. And then we have stuff that's that's like new, like built since 1980. Um do you, given given the choice of those three, which one would you like to buy if you could find equal deals on all three of them? 
If I could find equal deals, I would much rather find something that was built in the 80s or later. Um, certainly, you can find some decent deals with some of the older properties. And, and Rice, we still do buy older properties. But with all the new EPA regulations and things like that, with asbestos and lead-based paint, uh, sometimes it's just easier to start looking for properties that were built in the 80s or later because then you don't have to worry about a lot of those particular issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very good. Uh, we're going to take one last break, after which we will take any other questions that come in here to askvina.com or if you want to call your question, it's 877-772-9658. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I love it when you get caught in a sentence and you realize you have nothing else to say and there's no getting out of it and it's live radio and you just sort of have to say, yeah, okay, so anyway. And I'm glad it happens to people who've been doing this a lot longer than I have. My name is Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Anthony Chara and we're talking about the apartment market um, throughout the United States. Anthony is an expert both by virtue of the fact that he owns apartment buildings Uh, just all over the place, and also that he teaches many, 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 many students every year uh, and and works with them as they buy buildings. So his experience extends sort of beyond his own. And uh, we're taking your questions at 877-772-9658 or at askvina at gmail.com. We have a question here from Mike, who is in South Texas someplace. His, uh, His tagline says, South Austin to San Marcos. So that's a pretty big area. But his question is, uh, I'm curious how Anthony feels about building micro apartments in urban areas, say 30 to 50 doors close to downtown. We're seeing this trend in the Austin, Texas metro area. Okay. Well, for me, um, I, I'm not a developer. Um, so I'm, I'm not comfortable answering that particular question. Um, I'm more interested in actually taking an apartment building that's already existing because uh, one of the things that unfortunately has plagued me over my real estate career is anytime I get into what I would consider some type of development where you're building something out of the ground, uh, that seems to be where I always lose money. So I'm not <laughs> the person to answer that question for Mark in San Antonio well, or Austin. He has a, he has a second question. Um, okay. Excellent. We are seeing syndicated groups of investors buy Class C apartments, flip some or all, hold some for a period of two to five years, then cash out after the cap rate is most advantageous for selling. How does Anthony feel about this strategy for hot markets or for fringe markets? I'm all over it. That's actually one of the things that I do as well. So I, I, I love it. It's a great way to do... It's like doing fix and flips on steroids. If you can buy the property at the right price, put some money into it, turn the property around, get better tenants in there, decrease the vacancy, increase the occupancy, get the cash flow up as high as you can possibly get it and flip it. It's basically, it's instead of doing one single family home at a time, why not do 20, 30, 50, 100 units at a time? Um, You're just going to multiply your your wealth exponentially doing that. And that's exactly what we do. Excellent. Uh, question here from Stuart in Virginia Beach. Stuart says, I'm really glad you had Mr. Chara on today because I am considering doing a deal that I'm not sure if I should do or not. 
There is a 24-unit building in my neighborhood that has a terrible reputation for drugs and also prostitution activity. However, the neighborhood itself is a very good one. The owner is getting pretty desperate because of the continual police raids on his apartments and orders that he is getting against them. I would like to buy it, but I'm not sure how you change the reputation of an apartment building, even if you throw all the tenants out. Well, you actually can, uh, it, and it sounds like this particular owner is getting into the issues that he's, he's getting into because he's probably not doing a very good job screening the tenants, or when he does have issues with the tenants, he's not getting rid of them as quickly as he should, and that is a problem. If the, if the area in the neighborhood really is as good as this person says it is, uh, that could be a very, very good value play for that particular property if he can buy it at the right price. Um, as far as changing the the, uh, the thought process on, on the reputation of that particular property, it is something that you can do. As a matter of fact, I've got a, a student that's done that a couple of times on a couple of different properties, and he gets the city involved. As uh, a matter of fact, um, uh, on, on my Facebook page, uh, I went out and I put in an article that uh, where the student actually had people come out from the city council. I think the mayor, the city mayor was there. I think the, there was a police chief or somebody like that because they had gone in and they had actually cleaned up this particular property and kicked a bunch of people out, and they're, re, they're revitalizing it. They painted it. They're putting in new carpet and appliances. They're, they're changing the whole culture that's in that particular property. And one of the ways that they started to do that or to get that, that reputation turned around in the community was by getting literally this free advertisement in the newspaper to show everybody, hey, look at what we're doing. We're changing it. We're getting rid of the, the problem people. And, and they don't come out in the article and talk about how they're getting rid of the problem people and, and uh, the drugs and the prostitution. They just talk about that there's a new ownership in there, there's a new attitude, all the different work that they're doing to the property. And it, it has a big effect on what people see and do and how they react to that particular uh, property in the future. The other thing that, that I would recommend that you do is, if you go through with it, is change the name of the property. That's another way that you can change the reputation because then when people start hearing the new name of the property, there's certainly going to be some people that linger, that drive by and go, oh, yeah, that used to be the old XYZ apartment complex that was a pain in the butt and there was all the drug raids and the prostitution. But by changing the name, eventually it's going to fade and people are going to come to know it by the new name and the new reputation and it could be a pretty good opportunity for him. Mm -hmm. With only 24 units, he could have 24 tenants involved in drugs and prostitution. Does he need to have, Does he need to plan uh, a period of time where that thing is empty because he may just have to get rid of everybody? Yeah, that uh, he may have to do that. So yes, that would be part of his calculation, just like a fix and flip, uh, where you go in and you figure out. In essence, what the property—assuming that you fix everything up the way that it needs to be fixed—what would the property be worth in the future? What would it be worth in six months or twelve months? And then back into it. Uh, if you have to kick people out for a period of time, you're going to have that lost revenue. You're still going to have to make your monthly mortgage payment. How much is that going to set you back for your holding costs? You're still going to be paying your insurance, your property taxes, and things like that. Add those things in. Add in the repairs and any necessary um, uh, appliances and replacement and capital expenses that you're going to have to do to fix that property, whether it's a roof, parking lot, landscaping, painting, so on and so forth. 
And, of course, figure in a profit factor. You want to make sure that you're doing this for a reason. You want to be able to make a decent profit on the property and then uh, buy it at less than that. So subtract, start at the top, subtract out your holding costs, just like you suggested, Vina. If he's going to completely vacate this property for a period of time, then he needs to factor that into the holding costs because he's going to be paying those that mortgage and all those expenses with no income coming in on the particular on that property. Um, he's also going to have to factor in what it's going to take to fix the property up and turn it around. In some cases, it may just be, like I said, that the owner is just putting in crappy tenants and not doing a very decent job of screening them. Uh, and there may not be a lot of work that needs to be done, but you never know. You're certainly going to have to go in and inspect the property and see what it's going to take to fix it, turn it around. Mm-hmm. And then back that out, subtract that from the value of the property, subtract out the profit that you want to make, and then you're going to have a much lower level, and that's the maximum you can offer on the property. I, I, I wouldn't offer that. I'd still go well below that and start making offers to the seller. And maybe the property already is up for sale, uh, in which case it might be a slam-dunk deal to get in there. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, though, that I would that he needs to take into consideration is, yes, you may have to kick out all 24 tenants or residents or whoever's in the units. There might be a lot more than 24, uh, some with and without pants on, apparently. But uh, the other thing that when he's doing his due diligence, he can look at and see if there are some good tenants in there because I'm not necessarily a big fan on just automatically going in and kicking everybody out. The problem that you run into potentially if you kick just kick everybody out in order to turn it around is now you have no one at the property and there's no one there to let you know that someone has broken a window or kicked in a front door or something like that because they're going in and they're now vandalizing and robbing the place because there's no there are no eyes on the property at all. Mm-hmm. So if he is going to kick everybody else out, another expense that I would recommend that he adds is some type of security system, whether it's a uh, an armed security guard or just a night watch person, somebody that can watch that property for him uh, just to make sure that there's no extra expenses that are going to be incurred to vandalism and, and theft. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And one of the ways in which buying apartments is, is very different than buying single-family homes is that there is typically a due diligence period to look over the existing leases uh, you know, in, in single-family homes, often when we buy them, they're already already completely vacant and there's no lease to look at. But I think it might be important in this case to see what kinds of leases these folks have because, um, you know, if, they, if, the, if the lease is set to run until November of 2015, you might have a difficult time throwing someone out for anything other than non-payment of rent. Now, I have seen leases that uh, are basically extinguished if the property is sold, but I don't know that that's the case here. So that's that's a, maybe another piece of the planning is to look and see how long you might be stuck with some of these people. Absolutely, yeah. And there are, there are different ways to get people out. A lot of your listeners have probably heard of the term "cash for keys," where you could basically pay them to leave early. That's one possibility. Um, you know, they pay, they leave early, they leave the place nice and clean and tidy, they give you the keys, you hand them some cash as they're walking out the door. Um, that, that's another way to do it. And the, some leases will also give you the ability to get rid of them if they are violating things like the law, uh, if they have uh, criminal activity going on on the property, 
Um, matter of fact, we have um, one of our leases, we actually evicted a, a tenant because of domestic violence. Uh, the, the wife had the husband arrested because he struck her, and then the property manager went in and said, well, you know, he can't live here anymore because he has a criminal record, and we don't allow people with criminal records. Mm-hmm. So we actually had to evict her, and we were able to get her out pretty quickly because of uh, the fact that they violated the uh, the clause in the lease that talked about criminal activity. Mm-hmm. Although in Ohio, one has to be careful about evicting the victim in domestic violence cases because uh, we have some uh, particularly f- particular fair housing laws here just for listeners information now uh, Anthony might this be a good opportunity for Stuart to look for some sort of financing or money support that did not involve making payments for a while in other words if he's going to negotiate over financing maybe no payments for the first six months or maybe get a cash partner who's not expecting regular payments until the the building's up and running because i'm just i'm just thinking what a nightmare it would be for him to you know make make payments to a mortgage company month after month after month after month on an empty building yeah yeah absolutely that certainly if the seller is motivated to get out of the property they may be willing to uh, allow that to happen and of course just like with single family homes there are hard money lenders out there that will loan you hard money on an apartment building and then not expect any payments for six to nine to 12 months. Mm -hmm. So that is another possibility too. And quite frankly, nine to 12 months should be plenty of time to turn that property around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, Stuart, you just got an entire free lesson from one of the top experts in apartments about what to do with that deal. Not that you shouldn't still talk to your own legal accounting or other professional before you make that investment because we don't know that much about you but uh, congratulations and I hope that you will now come to the new strategy summit in November uh, to hear even more of this Uh, we are just about out of time here so uh, Anthony thank you very much for joining us today and sharing your wisdom about the current real estate market we will see you on November 6th here in Cincinnati and we will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. 